You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. A public service reminder, please remember that subscribing to our podcast on iTunes is the best way to support our show. Those that are already subscribers, we thank you. And those who aren't, we thank you in advance. Before we start, raise your hand if you have any photographs in the Smithsonian, MoMA, the Chicago Museum of Contemporary Art, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> hey, we got one hand. Anybody out there publish a dozen photography books or maybe shoot covers for Life, Newsweek, Time, Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated, People, L, Interview, and or The New Yorker? One hand. Can, <laughs> can anybody out there lay claim to have photographed just about everybody who has ever made it in the world of rock and roll, not to mention over 100 album covers? One hand. <laughs> Our guest today is one hand, Lynn Goldsmith. I do have another hand. <laughs> I use it when I want to say that I'm one of the female gender who have done this because I think it's really important especially recently with the news about Nikon's selection of how many male photographers and zero women. I just want to also, you know, give a shout out not only for, um, you know, my gratefulness uh, to the other people that helped me to um, attain those accomplishments that you just mentioned, but also to all of the male photographers who stand up and uh, give uh, any kind of help, whether it's by voicing uh, the issues of equality or uh, by, as Douglas Kirkland once did when we were both photographing, among other photographers, the Queen of England. Uh, he, 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 Douglas Kirkland is a very well-known celebrity portrait photographer and about 10 years before me was when his career started. Uh, and he was kind enough because I'm five, five and a half and Douglas is about six, six, two. Uh, he saw that I was not only the only woman there, but a rather small person. And he, uh, got me a ladder. (laughs) (laughs) So the really great (laughs) photographers I learned early on in my career are uh, generous to others. Mm, Points taken. By the way, Doug Kirkland was the first person I ever assisted. It was the last cover of Look magazine. It goes way back. A few more words about Lynn. A magna cum laude graduate from the University of Michigan with a BA in both English and psychology. Lynn is also the youngest member ever accepted to the Directors Guild of America. She can also lay claim to being director of Joshua TV, the first company to shoot video for rock groups entertaining at large venues. And she also directed the first rock show on network television, ABC's In Concert, as well as We're an American Band, the first music documentary to be released as a theatrical short. And there's more. (laughs) Wow. In the early 80s, working under the name Will Powers, you became the first optic music artist. You produced an album, Dancing for Mental Health, on Island Records, and went on to write songs with Sting, Steve Winward, Todd Rudgren, and Nile Rodgers, and your single, Kissing with Confidence, reached number three in the British charts. Raise your hand again if you could do that. Okay, again, yes, one I'm hand going up. Yes, I'm raising my hand again. 
1976, you formed LGI, the first agency to specialize in celebrity portraiture for editorial usage, which was later sold to Corbis. And you're not slowing down because you just came out with a brand new book called Kiss 1977 and 1980, which officially debuts on October 11th, 2017. And that's just one of the topics we hope to talk about today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh no, I'm uh, you know I'm honored to be asked. Thanks. B and H has uh, always been uh, there for photographers in, in in not just the pricing of their equipment, but their um, their attention to uh, I think the needs of photographers. Wow. And that well, just to jump back, yeah. the, the the subject of Nikon and, and those thirty two photographers is something that's come up now two weeks in a row on our yes. show and, and yes. I'm glad that you brought it up. But well, what yeah. I want to bring up is it does not mean that there are have not been and still are not individuals at that company well, who always have supported women photographers. Mike Corrado at Nikon. Uh there have been quite a few. It's just that um uh, that men's club uh, vibe mm-hmm. that existed uh, early on in photography, even with Canon, you know, and it's like sports photographers where I used to say to the people at Canon, because they gave so much support to um, any photographer in sports, I would say, they're standing on a field that is lit. Okay, lit. <laughs> All they got to do is like follow the ball. Okay, me. If I'm photographing a concert, I could get hit in the back of the head with a can. The lights are always changing. You never know where they're moving to. The lights are low. You got to keep changing. Uh, Nowadays, it's much easier, you know, to change your ISO and your camera. But, you know, you had to keep changing what kind of film you were using, how many cameras you were carrying to get certain kinds of shots. So, uh, you know, I I really think that... um, the uh, 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 training ground uh, for photography is uh, far stronger uh, in rock and roll than it is in um, any uh, coverage of a sport event. I will say in terms of sports, boxing is crazy. I've shot boxing. And and when you get – there's only – there's limited space on one side of the ring where they ah, get you. Yeah. And, of course, there's a pecking order. And elbows are flying. Guys are pushing. Guys, usually. Um, not always, in my experience. Um, I yeah. covered the yeah. fight in Zaire between Muhammad oh, Ali and George Foreman. Yeah. So there are yeah. women yeah, yeah, yeah. who yeah, covered yeah. boxing. Yeah. True. Yeah. true, true. <laughs> so the book, Kiss 1977 to 1980, studio photos, concert footage, behind the scenes. How much time did you spend with them? Well, you know, oftentimes it's not about the amount of time that you spend. It's um, in in reference to the point you just brought up about access. You said the pecking order when you shot a boxing event. When you can get an artist to allow you to let you in, uh, you might be able to create images that another person who might have shot many more times than you just is not capable of creating those images because photography with any human being, much less with a celebrity, is very much based on collaboration. Uh, And in my world of making images, I don't really um, care.
care in the way that many people do about um, a quote-unquote celebrity uh, being, if the word is right, like higher than you or something. I, I, it's just a, a whole – it's not that I don't care. I don't subscribe to that thinking. You know, my thinking is what is it going to take to create the best image possible – and not take up a lot of your time or a lot of my time. How are we going to accomplish that together? So I did do uh, a number of photo shoots in the studio with uh, KISS and uh, photographing them in concert. Well, in those days, it was not unusual, you know, to shoot the whole show. And you had access. Uh, the 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 trick... Uh, oftentimes was that many photographers who kind of do care, they care either because people will see them close to the stage or because they want to get near the artist. You know, I only care about position for certain kinds of shots. For the angles. Of your- so mm-hmm. it's how fast can I run back up to the balcony to mm-hmm. get this shot? Where do I have to be to get that shot? And with enough pre-planning and organization, you can accomplish, in my opinion, more of those goals um, than if you just want to be in the pit in front of the stage. So in in the case with KISS, did you ever do, as some photographers have done, like go on tour with them or was it always... Never. (laughs) Um, People think I went on tour with people because... um, I really didn't have to shoot months and months to create the kinds of visuals that fans related to. I always put myself uh, in the shoes of that particular fan. I don't care for Kiss's music. It's not my cup of tea. And uh, even though I uh, do care for the music of Bob Dylan... I would much rather photograph Kiss. (laughs) So, you know, it's like uh, I think about, God, you know, what what do they want to take home from this show and not forget and have a memory of? It's interesting that you didn't tour because going through the book and and we were pouring over the past day or two, uh, it's a great book. You really get the impression that you're on tour with them. There's a lot of you know, behind the scenes stuff, like, you know, like the shoes laying there and the, the outfits hanging and all the other just casual stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So you really do get the impression that you were. Not that that's, you know, lying about anything, but um, I'm kind of surprised that you weren't touring with them. But I guess it really wouldn't make much sense to. I travel. never really traveled that much. That's the kind of work that I do as a documentary photographer, because I did do other kinds of work, whether it was National Geographic, whatever, you have a limited time frame. And uh, with enough thought put into it before you go out there to work, you know, you sort of have a shot sheet in your head of what would the fans like to see. And when you can discuss that with the people that you're photographing or they're and or their team, they understand that you are there to serve a purpose for them. One thing it's I think important to just mention is that you're associated with rock and roll, but to go over your your website and stuff, you're far more than a a 
rock and roll photographer. You've well, I don't even know of- what a rock and roll photographer is. It's just that I've gotten to a certain birthday uh, that I find the term sexy. Uh, and um, uh, other than that, I used to really bristle mm-hmm. when I would be called that. You know, I, I thought I photograph people and um, I photograph people that either uh, I feel uh, bring some sort of um, healing, awareness, connection to other people uh, or I photograph stories about people that hopefully will do that. And that's my focus. I mean, I also photograph flowers and things like that. But that, but the real focus when you look at the body of my work, I think that's, um, that's what I am most attracted to document. One of the things you mentioned in your book, uh, reading through it, is that you— immediately had a connection with Gene and Paul, I believe it was. Yeah. Okay. Is that, was it a stronger bond or connection than you had with many other of the famous people that you photographed? It seems to be kind of real specific here. Yes. Even personal. Yes. Even though, um, I was not necessarily connected to their music or even the way that they they look, um, I mean, I enjoyed that for photography and I enjoyed that they were comfortable in front of the camera because I uh, w- work oftentimes, whether it's celebrities or or if you want to call them ordinary people, nobody's ordinary, but uh, for lack of a, of a better term that we can communicate, uh, you know, most people are not comfortable in front of the camera and you have to create a situation where they are. Whereas with Gene and Paul, you know, it's like, boom, we're there and I can just go to work. Uh, and that's a real pleasure, like a weight is lifted. Uh, but that wasn't the real connection. I think the real connection I have always, because of my upbringing, um, felt connected to uh, individuals of Jewish heritage. And there were so few of them that were musicians in rock and roll. Wait a second, you got Bob Dylan. You got a lot there. Well, I felt connected to Bob. Ah, I felt connected to Bob since I was 14, you know. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, I've also always loved Tom Waits, but Tom Waits isn't Jewish, and I'm connected to both of them, but do I feel for some bizarre, unknown, unexplainable reason? Sure, cultural touchstone, sure. familial Exactly, yeah, yeah. that you can identify with. Yeah. But Paul also, here's this guy that's playing guitar, loud music on stage, and, like, he's deaf in one ear. I mean, he, you know, he has one ear, uh, which he's talked about in his biography, which is deformed. Um, and I uh, grew up with a hemangioma over my eye, which was removed. But basically, you know, growing up as a small child, like Paul couldn't hear out of one ear, I couldn't see out of one eye. And so here I am focused on being a photographer and he's focused on being a musician. Uh, then Jean, who came from uh, uh, a situation where his mother was brave enough to move, she was a single working mother. My mother was a single working mother um, and divorced. Uh, So there was that 
you know, I also seem to connect whether it's with women or with men in regards to having had fathers that were less than attentive, mm-hmm. <laughs> emotionally unavailable, right. um, or they left. Uh, so there's these connections that all people have. And the fact that Gene and Paul uh, were uh, clean, didn't do drugs at that time, uh, was rare. That they worked hard and that they had a, a plan. Uh, these were the kinds of people that I felt were my friends. Um, and, you know, it was as simple as that. And I think they felt the same way about me. What's interesting about it is uh, uh, I I am female, uh, you know, and Gene is well known for his... uh, uh, Masculinity? Uh, (laughs) I don't know what you call it. Lothario? Ladies' man? I have no... (laughs) Am I wrong? Is that what you're... For being a male chauvinist pig. Uh, Um, Makes it easier. Okay. um, You know, there's a range of things that he's known for when it comes to women. Uh, But he was always my friend, not coming on to me, being professional, Professional uh, and Mm -hmm. acting actually like, uh, I I kind of think of them like cousins. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel Mm -hmm. about them. And in, in the moments that you were more friends... Did you bring out your camera or was that just something that... No, only- lots of times. Uh, no, I'd go to the movies with Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, uh, Paul uh, uh, was not in... Paul wanted a relationship, didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And we were more like girlfriends with me trying to fix him up. Right. Or, you know, going to the movies, right. Right. Uh, going out to clubs. Uh, well, back then, I mean, and I remember this, that, you know, obviously their identities... What, it was a big deal whether when Kiss would take their makeup off, who they were behind the makeup. So was there ever a, an, an idea to, to have that casual photo shoot or, or to shoot him having dinner or going to the no, movies? No, I like never that? thought they should take the makeup off, yeah. even when they did. Yeah. You know, I knew that that would be seductive because they wanted, I understand that. You know, I felt that their idea of what Kiss was and the theatrics of it was uh, fantastic. And um, when thinking about, you know, should there be any pictures of them in the book with that, it's not about them. Kiss is bigger than Gene, Paul, Peter, Ace, whoever the other exchanging members are. You know, it's it's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Kiss is about a tribe, in my opinion, of hardworking people who want to gather together mm-hmm. under kind of like the they're under their freak flag. Yeah. I think the fans are in touch with a sense of how they're different than their nearby community. And by joining together, under the banner of the KISS army, okay, that they are, they give meaning to each other. I think that's part of what it is, and it's part of what really attracts me to KISS. 
And did you feel that right away when you were working with them back in the day, or is it something that it took time to kind of realize that, wow, they are, they are kind of different from, from other bands? No, I knew immediately, especially the first time I saw their audience mm-hmm. and coming in the makeup uh, when, for example, Ziggy Stardust uh, in 1972, three, uh, you know, painted mm-hmm. on his face and came out in various outfits. You didn't really see like eight-year-olds there doing that too with their parents. Like I always saw that at KISS concerts. You know, it became like it was tribal. And um, I'm I'm just uh, attracted to that kind of force. The first book I did with Rizzoli was New Kids. And everyone was used to thinking of me in terms of the kinds of people that I photographed in rock and roll. You know, they think I'm not going to photograph them if they're not Patti Smith, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, you know, singer-songwriters who have uh, valid political, social messages, you know, like I'm selling out by doing new kids, right? And um, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt that their fan base of adolescent girls who, like, are so passionate (laughs) deserve to have a beautiful book. And I feel that the KISS fans deserved to have uh, a book of images from the time period that I think the songs which are uh, most strongly associated with how they perceive KISS at an affordable price. I'm not saying this to, like, sell the book. I'm saying it because those really are my motivations, you know. I think that fans should not be sold crap for a lot of money. I feel that they've supported uh, the artist and should be given the the best possible because books are sacred objects and memories uh, for me and Mm -hmm. I hope they are for other people. Yeah, and this one is a pretty nice book. I mean, physically, it's a beautiful book and it has something special going on. In addition to the photos. You know. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I tried to make it as with you see the silver gilding sure. on the sides. And, and it's a padded hardcover book. It's actually <laughs> nice to hold. It's yes, it's, <laughs> it's padded. Curl up with it as a pillow, I think. Yeah, yeah. and it's fat and heavy. Yeah. You if you know? drop it on your foot, it won't hurt you as much. It's, <laughs> Can you talk a bit about the process of, of the book? I mean, did you had to dig through your archive, and then did you send photos to them, and, and they responded to you with... with captioning and anecdotes and stories or what was the collaboration with them in terms of the book? I'm, I'm also curious to know, this is from 77 to 80. This is, goes back 30 years. Did you anticipate this book back then or is this something Well, that- 77, my dear, is 40 years ago. Are we in 2017 already? <laughs> yes, we are. Why did you tell me these things? Okay. <laughs> we just Time keep... is going by far too fast for me. I'm we sorry. We keep frozen here in the studio and bring <laughs> them out for these. That's it. They yeah. just put me back in the freezer when they're done here. Um, did you anticipate this book when you were taking all these photographs? Did you have a feeling in your gut that this was going to come out someday in this form? No. You, okay. <laughs> and then you go back to now you go to John's question. <laughs> <laughs> but most, I mean, again, these are came from. I would imagine a magazine assignment here. You worked the concert here. You did an album. I don't know if you worked it in the album covers, but you, they were. They actually took my pictures for album covers and made uh, it into like artwork. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, the inner sleeves or the inner parts. Yeah, they're one of the few artists that I still have not sued. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you mentioned jokingly, there's, there's joking, still, joking. Time, right? yeah. you, you actually come out with one interesting thing that, that you say, like Gene was a creative in a point where he just wasn't performing in front of your camera, but he was thinking about the use of the photograph. And there's one thing we, we there was a white reflector card that he yes. picks up, and and I read about that and go, that's that's the kind of person you want to work with. If you want to elaborate on that a little bit. Well, in the book, and to also answer your question, mm -hmm. your prior question about how pictures were selected, um, they trusted me to pick the pictures. And I, of course, ran it by them, but there wasn't really anything that they wanted pulled out. You know, it was all fine, which I thought it would be. Uh, That's rare in this industry, especially with the egos that you have to deal with. That's pretty good that they trust you. It, uh, uh, it's it's trust, but it's also, as I said, I think the uh, key to the secret of my success is putting myself in other people's shoes. So I've been successful because I can put myself in the shoes of the fan who has saved up oftentimes to buy a ticket to a show or the guy that wants to take the girl and he's paying for both of them and he might have worked the whole week to pay for that ticket and take her out. Um, I also put myself in the shoes, definitely, uh, in, of the celebrity. I point that out clearly in my book, Rock and Roll Stories, where I show photographs of myself in a certain position and then the artist in that position. Uh, and what I do is I have the artist photograph me so that they can feel what it's like to be in my shoes, you know, if they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then I switch it up. Right. Uh, so uh, with Kiss, that wasn't necessary. But uh, I do, I can pretend I'm like Gene or Paul and know what they would like or not like. Mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. one of the uh, intuitive gifts uh, that I have, or maybe it's, as you mentioned before, uh, my psychology degree, I don't know, a uh, <laughs> combination of the two perhaps. But um, in regards to your question as to the white card, uh, in the book, after I selected these pictures, then we went through them together. Uh, uh, I did it separately with Paul and separately with Jean, and I had them give me quotes either about what uh, looking back now at that time or about specifically what was happening. Right. In addition, I wrote my notes, and on one of those images in the book, I write about how when I was photographing Jean, uh, and this is why I like to work with them so much. Gene uh, picked up my white reflector card and held it towards me. And he said, shoot this. And I'm like, shoot what? You know, and he's like, shoot me holding the card. Now, normally nobody tells me what to shoot. We just create as we're working. Um, and so I took the shot and... <laughs> And then he said, see, now you can tell them to put their table of contents on it. Yeah. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's gee, thinking of the process. It's all creative. He's part well, of Well, he's visual. Not all artists uh, have the same visual uh, sensibilities. When I worked particularly in the early 70s, I'd listen to the music and then I'd look at the person. Maybe I'd go see them perform and I'd figure out what they should be wearing to really reflect what their music was about because in those days 
There was no such thing as stylists, mm-hmm. hair and makeup people. That was all part of the fashion world, not the rock and roll world. You tell a little story about Ricky Nelson in the book, too, about <laughs> that, where you send him home. That's in the book. Uh, I didn't send him home. <laughs> you, you I told him. To. <laughs> yeah, I told him to either get on his private plane or, you know, make the time to do it right. So, yeah, because I was not going to document Ricky Nelson with gold chains and an open shirt looking like some Italian mafioso, you mm-hmm. know, he was rockabilly. Right. That's why I'm wearing just a black <laughs> polo shirt today because what you just described, that's how I show up every day here. But that was part of my pleasure with Kiss is, uh, you know, there was such a clear vision visually. Yeah. I didn't have to go out shopping before. Clearly. You know, yeah. <laughs> they had, uh, you know, they had their sensibilities. Mm. And as far as that's concerned, there were so few artists, Bowie being one, Patti Smith being another, Keith Richards, uh, that could uh, really, with their clothing, uh, with their own style, reflect who they are in their music. Yeah. Who they are, yeah. yeah. Imagine with Kiss, and, and I mean, with many musicians, you, you may be trying to pull something out of them, like you're saying, what what their music represents, who they are. Uh, and with Kiss, I mean, it's all on the surface to some degree. So you maybe need to, is it, are you able to dig in deeper? Or well, is there no a way to dig in deeper? <clears throat> the, to, it's uh, no different than fashion shooting mm-hmm. in that, uh, I'll never forget the first time I did a fashion shoot I was like, oh, my God, this is so easy. <laughs> These guys get all this credit, and they're honored by everybody. And it's like, here's this amazingly beautiful person who knows how to move, who, like, this is this is easy photography, you know. Well, that's what Kiss was like. You know, they were my fashion models. Uh, they had a different kind of fashion, but they knew what to do. You know, there were people who were considered beautiful that I photographed at the time, like Carly Simon, but she really didn't know how to hold her hands. There were elements of working with someone that you have to uh, uh, gently uh, uh create a a sort of body stance that reflects how you know the world wants to see them. Well, part of, I think, Kiss's appeal is that they are not only performers, but performance artists. They're creating this theater on the stage. So for them to stand in front of your camera... They're doing that already. That's just part of their routine. That's That would be my take on it. Yes, but I like to add something to it. Otherwise, they're going to be repetitive. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get the same thing that Joe and Jane and whoever else shoots them could they Could they laugh at themselves? Was there a humor about what oh, they, they were doing? They not only laughed at themselves then, they laugh at themselves now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, really, um, obviously, you know, one has to be aware by now that these are two smart guys. Yeah. They wouldn't be my friends, first of all, if they weren't. Mm-hmm. But uh, secondly, uh, anyone that I've found who has a, a particular uh, level of intelligence uh, also has the ability to uh, laugh at themselves. Could I, I, one of the parts in the book, which I thought was kind of fun, at one point you and Gene get on a bus. He's in Fuller Gully, and you just take a bus uptown in Manhattan. What were the reactions on that bus to seeing him step on board? Uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. It, it was very New York. No one paid 
and the attention. <laughs> Only in this town. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. This is New York. New York yeah. is the number one star. So you had mentioned that, you know, you weren't into Kiss's music so much and, and more into the Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen. Um, do you, how do you compare shooting, I mean, somebody that you're, that you really love, their music anyway, uh, to something that you're not as familiar with? Were you, were you ever starstruck? Were you ever at a moment where like, I love this music so much, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to show that? No, in, in once again, in my book, Rock and Roll Stories, which really I wrote to answer these questions because mm -hmm. I do get asked, you know, who is the worst, who is the best, what's it like being on the road with the stones, mm -hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just thought, just write the book. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, I do write about that the only uh, individual that I uh, might have been um, – uh, kind of off balance mm -hmm. by. Uh, and that was because I think any uh, anyone that we associate in our minds of big change in who we are. Uh, and for me, uh, when I was 14, it was Dylan. Mm -hmm. You know, like it wasn't the Beatles for me. Right. Uh, and I loved uh, the Stones, but that was later. Bob Dylan was the first was and it. that was... Yeah, uh, and um, we all go through things, I think, at that age. Oftentimes when I am going to photograph a person, I look up uh, how old they are, and I will check out what was on top of the charts when they were 14. Interesting. Mm. And I will uh, think about what music would they have responded to? That's great. Wow. Uh, and, and it makes a big difference in the shoot. Mm -hmm. um, so a, for me, it was Bob Dylan. Yeah. And in the book, uh, I write about how uh, my experience, you, you got to, I'm not going to tell it here. You okay. can get the book. Buy the book. Buy yeah. the book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. We sell it through rockandrollphotogallery.com, but because um, it's not my newest book. Right. But uh, uh, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, prior to uh, walking in the room to photograph him, I said to, I was in an elevator and I said to myself, because I knew, this was 1975, I knew I had to make up my mind, am I a photographer or am I a fan? Fair, yeah. One or the other. And because I would not make the same uh, kind of picture, yeah. I'd right. be off balance. Sure, sure. So it was 75 the first time you photographed Dylan? Yes. Okay. Well, right. yes. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So a good... I mean, I'd, I'd photographed him in concert right. before, right. Right. but not, yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah. not a session or... About two years ago, I wrote I, I read a, a, a wonderful book that I highly recommend, um, Look Me in the Eye by John Robeson, uh, who, uh, he created all the um, fireworks and uh, pyrotechnics for KISS back in the day. Uh, did you ever cross paths with him? Any uh, experience with him? He was a fascinating, he is a fascinating individual. Uh, part of my problem in life, which has also become my greatest opportunity, is that if I don't see a p 
picture of someone or make a picture of someone, it, it kind of goes from my head. I'm sure I did meet him, or no, I'm not sure, but I think I might have met him <laughs> because I remember meeting someone who handled the pyro uh, for them. But, uh, you know, I have to say that my brain only holds a certain amount of information, and usually it's associated Visual. with a picture. Do you remember almost all the shoots and all the people you photographed? No. Okay. <laughs> I tell, I think I tell in rock and roll stories. I'm not sure if I do or not, but I'll share this with you now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Tommy Hilfiger had decided to try to access the rock and roll market. And he decided to sponsor some rock tours, and he mm -hmm. picked Pete Townsend. The day of some show of, that he was sponsoring, I was photographing him, and he said, Lynn, do you know Pete Townsend? And I said, well, not really. You know, I think I photographed them in concert, but I don't really— to me, I, that doesn't mean I know somebody. Right. So I said, I, I don't think so. He said, why don't you come tonight? I'll introduce you. So I said, okay, great. So we go, and afterwards there's a dinner, and uh, he takes me over to Pete's table, and uh, he, he's eating, and he drops the food in his fork, and he stands up, and he throws his arms around me, <laughs> and he says, Lynn, it's so great to see you. Right. So does this answer your question? So I went, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I went like, uh, and you too, Tommy. Right. Yeah, you too. <laughs> so Tommy Hilfiger says to me, "I thought you told me you didn't know Pete Townsend." You know. Right. So I said, "Oh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, do, I don't know." Right. So I went. Obviously, as soon as I got home, I opened up my contact sheet drawer. And I was on tour with The Who <laughs> for like six dates. <laughs> so do I remember the pyro guy? Yeah. I didn't remember Pete Townsend, okay? <laughs> you answered my question. Thank you. Great. Cool. All right. All right. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back with Lynn Goldsmith. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We are back. Uh, Lynn, question for you. You were working in television and became a co-manager of the band Grand Funk before you decided that rock and roll photography was a course for you. Was there a moment in particular that triggered all this? Yes. Do you want to know what moment? No, no, we're okay. We're just, cu just yeah. curious. No, no, no. It's okay. No, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do want to know. Yeah. Well, first of all, I always made pictures. Uh, I just didn't think about making pictures uh, as a still photographer for a living. Mm -hmm. um, I either thought that I would um, be a director um, or uh, I thought I would maybe be a record producer, songwriter, because I, these are things that, like, I always did. So you never, I, so being an office manager was never part of your plan? No, okay, you've never. always been creatively bent or something of that sort, for lack of better words. Well, I always, uh, I, I don't like to call 
a certain choice creative because I think one can be creative in whatever <clears throat> job they have. Point well taken. Thank you. Yes. I, I used to feel that even the way, you know, my mother uh, did the table that we ate on, um, you know, the how she laid out the table, uh, the napkins and everything, I felt, you know, that's a level of creativity sure. that sure, I didn't have. I mean, it, so uh, what I what I look at is there are uh, touchstones that we all have, which um, are are markers of our bliss. We can feel when something uh, feels right and moves us and makes us want to do more, and it has nothing to do with earning a living. It has to do with this is what uh, helps you to feel complete as a person and uh, uh, grateful to be alive. So there were things um, I always made pictures from the time I was a little girl, and that always made me feel good. Seeing the image come up in the tray, I always felt that was magic. I always felt that the camera, uh, even now with digital, uh, can offer uh, 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 something to me beyond what it is I thought I had all planned, you know. Uh, and so there were other aspects of making work, whether it was writing a song, uh, writing a poem, uh, making a little film that I also felt that way about. It's just that those other choices had more challenges in them because they required more the involvement oftentimes of other people. And so as I did photography and even uh, uh, I think long before Grand Funk, I don't remember what year it was, but like I wrote and shot what what was called photo funnies for the National Lampoon. But for me, those were storyboards for, you know, what might be a short little film. Um, I had worked at Electra Records making films with The Doors, Judy Collins, Delaney and Bonnie. So there were a number of, it's not like my, I had a career path and I had goals, you know. It's like I did something until it no longer brought me joy. And when it no longer brought me joy for one reason or another, uh, I would try something else. I was never afraid that I couldn't earn a living. Uh, that was not my problem. Many people have a fear of not being able to pay their rent, of whatever. Um, for better or for worse, when I was younger and I had a single working mother, uh, we did have financial issues and there was this bowl over the refrigerator that had bills in it. And um, I would make candles and sell them door to door. So that, ex which my mother helped me to do. So that experience as a young child, I believe, gave me a foundation that there's always something I can do which will uh, uh, keep a roof over my head. And I think the, the real key to 
uh, uh, if one wants to call it my success. And my success, I don't feel, is determined by having done covers of Lifetime, Newsweek, blah, 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 all that other stuff. My success for me comes from that I've been able to have a life where I do the things that I want to do. It's on your terms. Uh, it's not fully on my terms. You know, I don't— But you have a say in the matter. Well, I know when <clears throat> I can't take any more uh. and I'm done. Mm. Uh, and I'm not going to push myself because of the financial rewards. For example, managing Grand Funk is uh, far more financially rewarding than um, a photo shoot, okay? Uh, <laughs> especially if you have a, a percentage of uh, things. So uh, I would always... Uh, save. I learned that as well as, you know, I think those, uh, that foundation that I had as a kid of saving money because you never know what can happen. Um, those times when my mother didn't have, we were okay because she had saved. Um, you know, I would save money and I would say, okay, I'm done with this for the following reasons. I don't like these people. I don't want to work with them anymore. I'm not necessarily saying that about Grand Funk. Mark mm -hmm. Farner and I are still very good friends and I love him. The point is that when I don't want to be around anymore, I want to have the freedom and the space financially to figure out what I'm moving into. Because oftentimes, I spend the money to do the things, and then I will go out and sell them. I don't wait uh, for someone to give me a job. I believe in myself and that I can make things that people will want to buy. You've touched a lot of the creative arts. Is there anything you haven't touched upon yet that you're saying, I still want to do this before I check out? Oh, yeah. What Lots are, of things. Some of them are? One of them would be to return to Will Powers and do a book that can entertain and hopefully uh, give some sort of inspiration to people. Uh, there's so many things, but, you know, at, at the top of my mind, like when you said that, you know, if I followed my heart right now, um, I would um, jump on a plane and go to Puerto Rico and put out there um, hopefully images which could remind people um, that there are others out there who badly uh, need um, support. Is, is documentary photography at the heart of um, what you do? It's not at the heart of it, but I feel that if images cannot be used to bring life-challenging issues uh, to the notice of the public, um, that the rest of my work doesn't hold the same significance. I need to do some of that mm -hmm. to feel okay about doing... Validate. Yeah, all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can we want to break down the type of rock shots that we often see. Um, you know, we see in-studio publicity shots, we see concert footage, and, and then the kind of casual shots that often 
a company a shoot where you may take the the rock and roll photographer to a location and shoot it. Um, can you talk about each of those in terms of like the goals that you look for or what you're trying to accomplish? And I'm sure it's different with each person, but for example, at a concert, is it is it about something specific that you're trying to go for and then compare that to when you're uh, Well, it's not necessarily what I'm trying to go for. Mm -hmm. It's what I think would best serve that artist. Right. So I don't know that unless I look at, you know, I'll check the Instagram account. Mm -hmm. I'll look at um, uh, other sources for what images have been made. Mm -hmm. And then I'll think about uh, what I need to do to make something that the audience, um, both the audience that already is aware of that artist as well as the audience that isn't, okay, um, might be uh, moved by. Mm. An example, I can mm. give you an example. Yeah, um, um, uh, Lucas Nelson. Lucas Nelson has a new album out, and um, I went to see him perform – and he's a big guy, uh, and he does this – he's really an energetic performer, and he jumps a mm -hmm. lot. Uh, and some of his jumps are really high. <laughs> um, and, and he has gotten captured a few times doing that, but not necessarily to the degree that um, I think the image – could be. So then I think, okay, when I go to shoot this, mm -hmm. I'm waiting for those moments. I'm ready for those moments. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the position to get those moments. A lot of it Did he know that you were, that was your plan? I mean, are you working in concert with him? Or were you just assuming he's going to be doing these certain maneuvers at certain times and you hope you're in the right place? I mean, is this a coordinated effort? Well, with him, yeah. uh, it's not coordinated at all because he's instinctual. Okay. Um, it, it could be, for example, when I, uh, uh, I had said recently to this group, um, they're a French group and they're like the Rolling Stones of France, Les Insus, they used to be called Telephone. Uh, they came back out and they fill stadiums there. I mean, nobody knows about them here, but I had done album covers for them in the 80s and I went over because they reformed. And there is no image of them where you see the whole audience behind them, you know, in the stadium right. and them st at the end of the show, you got to run out there from behind the drum set, yeah. <laughs> jump in front. Yeah. They got to like turn around, you know. <laughs> so I, I tried to pre-plan it, you know, and they said, uh, uh, so I went to each one of them uh, and uh, I told them what I wanted to do and asked if it would be okay. And they all got together and they said, we think that's a, a, a you know, a cliche shot or something like that. I said, really? So then I I showed them uh, one of my shots of the stones like that because I knew like they idolized the mm -hmm. Rolling Stones. I said, really? Do you have a shot like this? Right? And they looked at it and they just went, do it. You know? Um, so you don't just say, oh, okay. You know, you fight for it. Right. Yeah, if you believe in it, yeah. You you started off pretty young taking photographs, uh, you indicated. Do you have any formal training in photography? Was this all self-taught? I'm I'm completely self-taught, uh, but uh, uh I I 
can say that my father, who was a very serious amateur uh, photographer, um, definitely uh, gave me lessons in terms of uh, being in the dark room with him as much as I was. Do you uh, always listen to the music of the people you're going to shoot? Yes. Prior, obviously. I think that with all shoots, whether you're doing a story for National Geographic or whether you're doing a rock and roll shoot or whether you're photographing an author or like I mentioned before in terms of finding out the music that someone likes, I'm going to photograph Koki Roberts. I look up what it, I look at what was on the charts when she was 14 and it was Leslie Gore's It's My Party. Immediately when I saw <laughs> Leslie Gore, It's My Party, I knew that was a song she would like and she walked in in a really bad mood uh, and, she, and I had that music on and she just started dancing all over yeah. the place and <laughs> stayed and I had her eating out of my hand. That's so yeah. the the point is you do as much research. Right. You do your homework. As yeah. you yeah. possibly can yeah. and uh, that will hopefully lead to uh, the 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 best image that you're capable of making. Have you had a moment where or an instant where I mean I, I'm taking from this and, and other conversations that you know in order to make a good photo you need the connection. You need the the relationship some somewhere whether it's through a shared music or a shared memory or something along the lines. But has there been an instance where you got a really good photo out of a relationship or that was just horrible, where there was no connection and, and you never found that little moment or that shared ability between the, the, the subject and yourself? I don't really come from that mindset, you know. I don't really see, especially, you know, I come from the mindset of being in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. So... I don't, I'm not there, you know. I do uh, tell a story and I don't hesitate to say when people ask me like, what was the worst photo session you ever had? Um, uh, I, uh, I would say, you know, Don McLean. And when I said to him, you know, this is your record and people are buying your record you need to care about what's on your cover. And that's why I'm here. If you're not here for this, you should leave. Um, and he completely turned around and became fine, you know. So the point is that sometimes you have to remind people for whatever reason, not necessarily because they're the a big star or whatever. It could be because... They had a really bad day before they walked into where you are and what things that have nothing to do with you. But you need to get that individual in the moment with you. You can have someone who's totally against you. Uh, it's your job to turn that around. And if you don't have the abilities to do that, you shouldn't be there. Was it mostly from magazines that you were getting calls from or was it the bands themselves? And the, is there changes that you can point to now that the system's just not the same, doesn't work that way? Is there What differences are you seeing between well, them I, now? Well, I did get, uh, you know, asked by publications to shoot, but I would say at least 80% of my work was self-generated. Mm -hmm. 
um, which in those days, it was far easier to um, call up management or a record label and to let them know that you were willing to do a studio shoot. And they knew that you would run it around to all the publications, so you were like an added press arm for them. Um, and it's just, it's a completely different business model now. And there is also this, um, in my opinion, um, lack of respect uh, for what the image, even though image now is more important than ever with music, there's a lack of respect for the individuals mm -hmm. who, uh, who can create imagery, imagery. yeah, the and help the, the artist yeah. to find more, to be more in touch with who they really are and to feel more confident as artists. Was yeah. there a moment in your career when your when you realized that your reputation was preceding you in terms of getting jobs and, and also maybe being that person where you were the image maker and you they knew that you would add something, that you would bring something? Well, I like to think people think that of me now, but I've often well, heard, oh, we didn't we didn't think of hiring you because we thought you'd be too expensive. And, I, and when I think about all the work that I did on spec, you know, <laughs> it's uh, – it's, uh, I don't know what expensive is. I do know it's like, tell me what it is you're looking for. Tell me what your budget is, and I'll let you know what I can do or not do. Sure. Are you yeah. still asked to do a lot of work on spec? Is, no. that, is that a common thing? I mean, well, I don't I know. know. I'm curious. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't put it out there that I'm like looking for work. Mm -hmm. I like making the work that I want to make. For example, bringing up a uh, Lucas Nelson again. He was someone that I thought, oh, I'd like to photograph him. He's young. You know, I haven't done any musician for a while. Uh, you know, he, he, he looks like a nice guy. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to meet his dad. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to photograph Willie. Uh, you know, I had that ulterior thing going in the back of my mind. They'll invite me to Hawaii, you know. Out over to Austin. To yeah, the farm or so uh, I knew their management, and I offered to do this session on spec mm -hmm. basis. And Luke says, uh, this is recently, says uh, he's uh, never had a photo shoot like this. I'm the most amazing. You know, all the things that you want to hear. I'm the most amazing, blah, 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 blah. I'm the best. <laughs> then I show him the pictures. They're all wowed, blah, 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 blah. And then they want me to give them the pictures. You know, it's like, oh, Lynn, I want to use these on my social networks. Great, you know. Happy right. to talk about the budget. Right. Oh, no, we want them for free. And it's like, you know, this is also not an artist that can't afford it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, even when you get to that, mm -hmm. and I'm Lynn Goldsmith, you know, I, I'm not going to be thinking, oh, well, if I give management this, maybe I'll get Gary Clark Jr. and Cheryl Crow and all the other people they manage, yeah. you know. It doesn't work like that. Um, uh, you just have to draw the line for what you want to do and are you happy that you did it? Yeah. If they if they don't license anything, is that fine? 
Um, you know, and fortunately, uh, because I can't look at in the old days, you could look at that you could license those images to publications and it could pay for the shoot. But I believe publications uh, pay less now than they did 30 years ago. Yeah, it's true. Uh, in many ways. So uh, whether it's assignment or whether it's space rate, uh, and the sad fact of the matter is it's not because they're necessarily trying to take advantage. It's because print media has its own issues. Yeah, uh, so it's a, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what happens to the uh, photo industry. Um, I have, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but I do have a uh, GoFundMe Warhol vs. Goldsmith. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I'm doing it uh, is because it will cost a half a million dollars to take this case to the Supreme Court. Uh, but I feel very strongly that if we don't make case law where a photograph, a copywritten photograph, not one that's in the public domain, okay, mm -hmm. that a copywritten photograph can be taken and have minimal work done to it mm -hmm. and it falls under transformative or right. fair use, right. you lose your rights to it. What are the particulars of your case? Uh, there's an image of Prince, which I made in 1981, that was licensed for one-time-use artist illustration in 1984 to be used one time in uh, the publication Vanity Fair. Uh, that image was, uh, I recently discovered after Prince died, uh, because I was unaware of it, uh, that that image was, uh, you know, uh, then used for painting, silk screens, a number of things. And I felt, uh, you know, I'm not the only photographer. We all talk about it, especially those who have done celebrity portrait work, to have had my images taken. Um, it's just, I'm done. I'm done, like, uh, hearing about it, seeing about it, uh, settling about it. It's time to stand up, speak out, and fight for fight for your rights, you know, because otherwise uh, we're not going to have any. You know, there will be no meaning for the copyright law. Mm -hmm. And that copyright law is a pretty important law for all creators. Yeah, if you weren't a living as a creative, if without that, you, you have nothing. There's no protection. Can we jump back to talk rock and roll? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, uh, so Alan mentioned over 100 album covers. Is there one or two that stand out as yes. favorites? Yes. As favorites? Well, yeah, and they're usually the ones that, like, I handed in the package. Uh -huh. In other words, where I worked with the artist, and then I put the type on, and then we just delivered it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I did with Grand Funk. Okay. But when you took jobs from labels, you know, there was an art director, right. and normally, right. uh, so the opportunities that I had to do that uh, was uh, Patty Smith Easter mm -hmm. because Patty had control over what her album cover looked like. So we picked it out. She selected the typeface and the color. You know, so it's meaningful to me because we did it together. Right, right. And the same thing for Carly Simon and Torch. 
And then uh, Frank Zappa's Shake Your Booty would be <laughs> my number one because yeah. Frank came to me. The album was called something else. I don't remember what it was, but uh, the album was uh, a takeoff on disco music. And I listened to it, and there's this song, I'm in you, you're in me. And uh, it was a Peter Frampton kind yeah. of spoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I always felt that Frank Zappa was a very handsome man. And he, in his photographs, was far more comfortable showing his sense of humor and always had since the days of the Mothers of Invention. Mm -hmm. What Frank wasn't comfortable showing was how handsome, you know, how that's what right. I felt. Right. I'm not saying he did, but that's how I perceived it. So I listened to the record, and Frank came with uh, his props and everything and was directing me in terms of what he wanted uh, for the album cover, red background, and I just thought it was – I mean, Frank's a genius, but it was really stupid. But I did exactly what he wanted, and then when I w completed it and he was happy, I said, okay, so now I have an idea. And I'd like you to do this. And I pulled out, uh, uh, Patty Smith had given me, I forget the, uh, what you call the scarf, mm -hmm. um, but there's a name for that right. kind of scarf. Right. And the, uh, the, uh, piece that goes around that, that's worn by sheikhs, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, you know, in the Arab countries. Right. And, uh, She'd given that to me as a gift, and I thought, oh, when I listened to the record, I thought, oh, he's got to re—he's got to change the title of this to "Shake Your Booty," you know, and I'll photograph him as a shake, right? So I told him my idea, and he looked at the scarf and he said, "I'm not putting that schmata on my head." <laughs> See, that's why I like Italians. They know Yiddish. That's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, I did – this is a moment in response to your question about being a woman and how it works or doesn't work for you. I think I did at that moment what no male photographer would do. I burst into tears. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that – that I knew that would clinch it. So he went, okay. And he put it on and I did the pictures. And then when I showed them to him, he said, you were right. And we're changing the name of the record. <laughs> and he wrote, uh, you know, and he did the typeface, shake your booty. Ooh, great. <laughs> I think that we were talking about that the other day, that album cover, and that, that photo is legendary yeah that's so, my yeah, very yeah, favorite yeah, 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 yeah. for that reason can i throw out a couple other ones just so we can maybe oh, sure. some rock and roll stuff uh, sure. just a few that i looked at from from going through you know your website and whatnot um the roger daltrey coming out of the water is there any well that comes from a nightmare uh that also in my book rock and roll stories mm. uh, i have a chapter called photo nightmares okay. uh not necessarily that yeah roger daltrey was a photo nightmare <laughs> uh it was an assignment from rolling stone for um a cover and i went out there now one would think that if you're going to shoot a cover for rolling stone artists would be very receptive uh he was staying in connecticut in a place on water 
-hmm. And it was around sunset time when I arrived. And I knocked on the door and he said, uh, he came to the door and he said, I don't really feel like doing this. Uh, and I said, well, uh, okay, I'll just sit here until you do. I'll be sitting right here on your porch. And so he looked at me and he went back in the house and then he came out and he started walking towards the water. So uh, I had an assistant and I said, bring me my mamiya. And uh, I followed him into the water. He just kept walking. And at a point uh, where it was up to like my neck maybe, you know, and I'm holding my camera up, not quite my neck, below that. Mm -hmm. uh, he's shorter than me, so it was deeper and he was going under. And the sun was setting and I said, please turn around. <laughs> and he did. And that was the shot right before he went under the water. Wow, that's interesting. Oof. I would have thought that was a much more organized shot somehow. No, you have to be, yeah. as I say, you plan, you plan. I bought. I brought a gray backdrop, but uh -huh. the fact that he has blue eyes that match the water, that's yeah. not Photoshop time, yeah. no, um, and the color of the water, uh, the time of day, mm -hmm. you know, I do believe I have a lucky star over my head. So sometimes you work hard and good fortune is there for you when you need it. Why did he decide just to walk into the water? That was just a spur of the I'm moment. not him. I have no idea. He <laughs> wanted to get rid of me. <laughs> How about Van Halen and the tank? Was, whose idea was the tank? We were, uh, I forgot where we were driving. We were driving somewhere. I was with, I don't know if we were going to a show. I don't really remember. I'm sure uh, Eddie or them do. I should find out because I'd like to remember. But I remember seeing it and we got out of the car and uh, we, I just set them up quickly on the tank. And... Uh, Tank was there. The tank well, was lots there of already? times I see things. Part of the fun uh -huh. is uh, driving around yeah. and finding things that will work. Mm -hmm. And when you know people and they know you know what you're doing, and you're doing like what I call guerrilla photography, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can say, "Okay, you over there, you there, you that." Before the police come, yeah. <laughs> you over there, you here, because you don't have a permit. You there, you here. And they know that when I say, let's stop the car here and do this, that it's not a waste of their time right. and that they're going to get something which is going to be cool. But there was something else going on. I don't remember what it is because I do remember that that uh, tank, uh, actually we got them to come and they got the gun to go off because mm -hmm. I got the smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I don't remember how that aspect of it came about. But it wasn't It wasn't like you said, I would hey. like to remember, so thank you for reminding <laughs> me, and I'm going to write and see if I can get an Well, the answer. reason I asked about that was in comparison to other shots, which clearly it it looks like a situation where you describe where you and the artist went somewhere and you, you took your time and you, you had some photos, whereas this one looked like, okay, someone had a concept of we want a tank 
we wanted to be going off and we want Van Halen on top of us. It was really organized ahead of time, but I guess not. No, that wasn't organized yeah. ahead of time at all. Okay. Some shots are. Sure. Um, but I I actually really do like um, what I call, you know, guerrilla shooting. Me too. <laughs> I actually did want to ask about one more person you photographed, uh, um, Miles Davis. And Once again, plugging rock and roll stories yeah. <laughs> in the chapter with Miles when I uh, uh, photographed him, and it's a rather long story, so I won't get into the whole thing, it, yeah. but I can say that he was both the worst session I ever had and the best session I ever had simultaneously. And that's because he put me through such torture and what I felt was humiliation before I got to make a picture, testing me, testing me, testing me, uh, that I felt, you know, I should have walked, you know, um, but I didn't. I stayed there to get the shot. And when I did stand up to him, when I took that moment and told him uh, what I was going to do, <laughs> uh, he picked up his horn, and I'm not a jazz fan. He picked up his horn and played right to my face. And I would swear to this day that I met Gabriel. I have never had a musical experience like that. And if I had to go through all those tests, I would go through that and more to have that moment again. Yeah, speechless again. Yeah. Go. Okay. If you um, want to know the torture, get the book. Yeah, right. Totally. So these two books we're buying now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah we, we, we somehow forgot all about Kiss in all of the second half of this conversation. Yeah, there's the Kiss book, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, that book, yes. Yeah. yeah. All I can say is thank you. This has been a, a very illuminating uh, conversation, and, and, and it's, I think it's far more than uh, I ever expected to have here today. It was going to be a rock and roll thing. I mean, we we covered so much more. It's wonderful. Thank you. Um, Thank your you. books are available uh, where? People want to look for your books. Well, they can always go to www.rockandrollphotogallery.com. Mm -hmm. They can also go, obviously, to Amazon. Uh, the new Kiss book will be in bookstores mm -hmm. uh, as uh, October 11th. Okay. But And also, this Kiss book is Rizzoli, so it'll be out there. It'll be easily found. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, this is something that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, I suggest that anybody who'd like to get much more familiar with Lynn's work, go to her website. LynnGoldsmith.com. There, there, there are all... There are chapters in there that we haven't even discussed, like Saturday Night Live. From oh, the yeah. Earliest days, and we were going through it. It's, it's wonderful. Um, Thank a, a you. I keep stuff. thinking about doing a book on there. I oh, mean, there's so yeah. many books I want to do. Well, the pictures exist. Just got to put them into the. Between no, the I know. My next book is going to be with Patty Smith. Ah. And. Uh, it's going to be great. I mean. Yes. Absolutely. Well, it's yeah. great because uh, in. In my opinion, working with Patty. Uh, of all the people I ever worked with, I could say that as a photographer, 
Uh, Patty was very much my muse. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, to be able to look back with her uh, is a real pleasure. In addition, as a subject, particularly since these are images from 40 years ago, she was so unique in her fashion choices and she's so beautiful that it's a pleasure for me. She, like Kiss, uh, was an individual that I didn't have to go through a certain amount of work just to, like, be able to lay bare the walls that exist when someone gets in front of a camera. Patty uh, really uh, uh, understood the power of the image, and she knew um, how to be uh, in front of a camera. So we could go from there and just keep moving. And you have a, a brick and mortars gallery out in Aspen, is that true? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's yeah. the, uh, there's another site called Rock and Roll Gallery, that's not me, I'm Rock and Roll Photo oh, Gallery, okay. and yes, we have a brick and mortar uh, in Basalt, which is about uh, 20 minutes from Aspen, Colorado. Lynn, we can't thank you enough for coming down and spending time with us today. For those of you in Los Angeles, be aware that on November 3rd, Lynn and Paul Stanley are going to be at the Barnes & Noble at the Grove in Los Angeles. I've been there many times. Great place. Uh, And they'll be doing a book signing. So if you're in the area, November 3rd, stop by, say hi, and tell them Al sent you. To our listeners, uh, as I always remind you, if you are not a subscriber, please do. It is absolutely free. And we have over 90 episodes posted so far. And if you can't find something that interests you, I don't know what would interest you. And on behalf of John Harris, Jason Tables, and myself, Thank you so much for tuning in today.